0: Welcome to Beaver Tracks, a damn good podcast, bringing you inside the world of OSU admissions and providing you with a behind-the-scenes look at what goes on in Beaver Nation. I'm Corey Kimmel, pronouns are she, her, hers, and I'm the Regional Admissions Advisor for the Portland metro
1: area. And I'm Delta Lee, my pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm our Regional Admissions Advisor for Southern California. Thank you so much for joining today. So Del,
0: I... No, you and I both normally work with students uh, for Oregon State's undergraduate programs working on their bachelor's degree, Uh, but OSU has a host of
1: graduate programs as well. Absolutely. We have a number of master's and accelerated master's programs, a PhD or doctorate program in the College of Pharmacy, as well as our Carlson College of Veterinary Medicine, which fun fact, is the only college of vet med in the state of Oregon.
0: And today, on that note, we have Dr. Katie Townsend, Associate Professor and Small Animal Surgeon at Oregon State University. So hello, Katie. Thank you so much for being on the podcast with us today. Can you just give us a little introduction?
2: I'd love to, and thank you so much for having me on. So my name is Dr. Katie Townsend, and I'm an Associate Professor of Small Animal Surgery at the Carlson College of Vet Med. My pronouns are she, her, hers. So I first came to OSU in 2014. So I've been here for seven years now and I just love Corvallis. I love Oregon. If you can tell by my accent, I'm Australian. So I definitely prefer the West Coast vibes in the, you know, in the United States and the Pacific Northwest to me just feels like home now. I pretty much have like three components of my job that I like to think of as the clinical portion, the research portion and then the teaching portion. So the clinical portion, so I'm a specialist in small animal surgery and now I really kind of just deal with soft tissue surgery or oncologic surgery. So mainly dealing with dogs that have cancer that kind of need like a pretty big surgery to kind of carry on with their life. Then the teaching portion of my job is I teach kind of throughout the veterinary curriculum. So the DVM degree here is four years. So first, second, third and fourth. Our fourth year is kind of completely clinical. So I do a lot of my teaching for the clinical students. And then some of it kind of in our, like the preclinical third year where I'm teaching students how to do their first surgical procedures. So their first spays and neuters and everything like that, which is always really exciting. And then the third component or third arm of my work is essentially research, which I tend to do in surgical oncology research of dogs and cats. So that's kind of what, what I do what I do here at OSU. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to ask you so many questions about all of
1: the things that you do at Oregon State. Um, but first, we like to start with just kind of a fun question for our guests. And to get to the question, I have to tell a quick story. So I'm based out of San Diego, like I mentioned, and uh, I've had my first encounter with a rattlesnake recently. I heard that that was coming for me, but uh, on a hiking trail recently, it scuttled away from me. Happy it went away from me and not towards me. But my question for you, Dr. Townsend, is what outside of your work, maybe like in the actual wild, if any has been your wildest encounter?
2: Yeah, so I am not a snake person either. You know, growing up in Australia, we have, I think like the 10 most deadliest snakes in Australia or something like that. So I feel you on the snake front. I think, you know, I think it's hard. I think, you know, I wanna say something like, you know, seeing kangaroos or koalas in the wild in Australia, cause that's pretty cool. But I think kind of on the more kind of adventurous front, um, I've been scuba diving with hammerhead sharks, which was amazing, kind of in, um, off the coast of Egypt in the Red Sea, where I just got so excited. We saw this big kind of group of hammerhead sharks and I kind of went chasing with them and ended up losing my husband as my scuba buddy, like on the way around there, it was pretty traumatic. I've um, also been to Africa on safari and seeing kind of like the big five of the the African animals like, you know, in person in the wild was pretty phenomenal. I think anytime you see any animal in the wild is just such a like privileged experience that we get to we get to see that. So I think it's a toss up, but I, I do think probably sharks. It was pretty fun.
0: That's Crazy. I have like no words to even respond to that experience. <laughs> wow. And I, I definitely agree that it's it's a pretty amazing experience to see animals in the wild. I grew up in the foothills of the Rockies. And so we always had bears in our backyard and mountain lions that just, I mean, they camouflage like there is no tomorrow. So pretty pretty exciting exper- like experience just to see animals in there in their own habitat. Back to you, you know, we kind of first became familiar with your work after hearing of the life-saving surgery you performed on a lioness uh, from a wildcat sanctuary here in Oregon. So we would just love to hear more about that experience, procedure, and also what your first thought was when you got that call, like what was that like?
2: I love cats. You know, I'm a crazy cat lady. So anytime any of the big cats come in, I get super excited. And so we've worked with Wildcat Ridge Sanctuary before. They're a phenomenal sanctuary. They're not open to the public. They're kind of like, we call them the like retirement place for for big cats to go where they're kind of not touched by people, they're not open to the public where they kind of just have this lovely life where they go. So we've worked with them before and have actually done surgery on um, one of their white tigers previously. And so when they rang, they kind of, they were right on top of it. They knew Chobi wasn't doing well and had a suspicion that she needed surgery um, because she had an infected uterus. And, you know, when we get the call with this, you always need like a big team of people to make this happen. And so the surgeries is, you know, one thing and diagnosing, you know, what's, what's going on with her. But I think the most terrifying part of it is getting them under anesthesia, (laughs) And so you can imagine like a 350 pound big cat that's wild, total props to our anesthesia team. We have two anesthesiologists on, on staff. So Dr. Ron Mansager and Dr. Sandra Olweiler and their team are phenomenal. They, they're very brave as far as trying to get these cats under anesthesia. And, and so they do that for us. Um, typically, you know, when they come in, we want to diagnose we generally have a suspicion based on that they're not eating they're not doing well and especially with this place because they're so on top of it their keepers are so on top of it they know if those cats aren't doing well and so then we get them under anesthesia which is terrifying and then once they're under anesthesia we typically do a cat scan on them which i think is always funny that we're doing like a cat scan on a cat Um, so we do that and, and the purpose of that is one to diagnose, like, is this what we actually think it is? Do they need surgery? Is there something else going on? But then it also helps us like target what we need to do in surgery. So I can kind of go in and do something more targeted as far as surgery. So the recovery is easier as well. You can imagine trying to recover a very large cat that's wild. That's not easy. I'm not sure if you guys were aware, but Chobi was actually rescued from the whole Tiger King sanctuary. It's probably not the right word for that. Um, from Joe Exotic, and I don't know. Did you guys watch Tiger King at all? I did. I don't think
0: Delta did, but I very quickly went through the Tiger King
1: uh, series. I know. Yeah, I, mean, I missed that whole thing, unfortunately. Oh, gosh.
2: Unfortunately, I hear. I'm not sure. I know. It was I mean it was definitely kind of like a train wreck watching this documentary and and happy that there has been kind of more of an awareness as far as people who keep these big animals inappropriately and breed them inappropriately and things and things like that but I feel like that definitely took up some of my kind of the early covid lockdown time was was watching was watching that she was rescued from them to Wildcat Ridge Sanctuary because a lot of those cats have now kind of moved to like different sanctuaries all over the U.S. They weren't put down which is which is good.
0: What was it just a follow-up question what was it like for you watching that series and being in the field that you're in and knowing that like you've worked on these big cats like I just how did that feel for you and what was going on in your brain watching that and kind of like you said sanctuary isn't quite the right word but just seeing how everything was operating.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it was just horrifying, I think, for the most of it. You know, a lot of my colleagues were like, I can't watch this. This is too traumatic to, to see. And I think, you know, I think the, the good thing about it that has come out has really just been the exposure of of what some people were doing with this and some of the laws that are now going to be going into effect to help make change from that. So I think the exposure has been the best thing from this. I mean, watching it was just horrific. That these amazing animals who are just you know when you when you're up close with a big cat I'm always fascinated because they're so much like domestic cats you know you look at them and they have all the same characteristics and think of my cat pan and how similar they are and I just I just think that breeding them for profit and then recognizing that there are these they're wild animals and that they just shouldn't be in those situations to start off with so it's definitely just heartbreaking and and something that I'm glad that there's at least some exposure out there now to try and reverse a lot of those effects.
1: Absolutely and I mean speaking of them being wild animals I didn't even think about the anesthetizing part of this whole process uh, which as you're saying does sound quite terrifying so a uh, big kudos to those doctors that were working on that. I'm wondering how does that happen and how, how is everyone making sure that they're staying safe?
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a big thing. So it definitely requires a, you know, a full team. We have a big conversation about it. So typically whoever our anesthesiologist is um, on clinics that week, we get kind of the high concentration drugs. So they're kind of the, they wildlife specific drugs. So you can have a small volume that's very potent and you put it on the end of like a Big long stick, essentially. And so they come normally in a, you know, in a crate, in a traveling crate. And then essentially you have to then jab them into the crate with the needle kind of on the end of the big pole. They obviously react. And it's, you know, and and you can see that they are wild animals when that happens. Then we kind of let them mellow out for a little bit, allow those drugs to do the work. But the most terrifying part, apart from the jab part, is you have to be like, did I use enough drugs right now <laughs> for them to be asleep? So you're opening the crate thinking, oh my goodness, I hope my calculations were correct. I hope this is all fine. I hope like the actual drug got where it was meant to get to on the end of the syringe. So that's always the the, the challenging part. And then once they're kind of, then we get their tube down, we get them on more drugs, we get catheters in them and everything like that. We hook them up to all the monitoring. But but there's definitely a lot of really scary parts getting those big animals asleep.
0: I can't even imagine. I Delta and I are faces right now.
2: <laughs> My arm hair is standing up
1: while you're speaking. So
0: I have a cat, and she, the vet once called her dramatic because she was just didn't want to be held down to get any sort of sedative. So I cannot even. I mean, she's ten to twelve pounds. Like I can't even imagine like a three hundred pound big cat it is I am mind-blowing so wow okay so back to kind of you know some like you said earlier so it's not just this like life-saving surgery that you've done uh, other research within the College of Vet Med Um, can you just tell us kind of what that research you're doing is and how you were drawn to it?
2: Yeah sure so my my passion is dogs and cats that have cancer and surgery is often the number one thing that can allow them to have like a better quality of life and we often potentially don't always cure but kind of give them an you know extra time that's good quality of of life and so my research focus is is looking at ways to kind of better personalize uh, medicine for those for those animals that have cancer so I specifically look at lymph nodes um, which is kind of where cancer can spread first to a lot so the same things in people the big thing we think of is when people like often when women get breast cancer the big thing is is the node does the node have cancer in it as well because that affects prognosis and so what i'm doing is using kind of these techniques that we use in humans and personalizing that medicine to dogs so looking at kind of what we call sentinel lymph node mapping which we kind of personalize each animal and we trace exactly where those lymph nodes where the, the tumor cells could be and if they're in the lymph nodes to ensure that we're we're helping owners give accurate prognosis and what's going to happen and do the best thing you know for their dogs in kind of more mimicking that the way that we would do it if it was a human totally and
1: kind of speaking on that I'm always impressed and amazed by you know uh, vet doctors who are able to do the prognosis and understand what's going on without an animal speaking back to to you as a human. So I guess I'm wondering like just a bit more about that. I'm wondering what the prevalence of that specific kind of lymph node cancer is in dogs
2: and is it similar to humans? And and what's that whole thing like? You know, when we think of cancer spreading to lymph nodes, the vast majority, so any kind of cancer can often spread to any lymph node. So it's not, we're not specifically looking at of cancer of a lymph node We're looking at the spread of cancer throughout the body and so every single cancer essentially can spread to a lymph node and so it really depends on you know how aggressive that tumor is where you know is it bone cancer is it lung cancer is it skin cancer but that's the good thing about my research is that it can be modified to any animal with any type of cancer because what we're looking at is more the spread of cancer to try and help owners make decisions about what they want to do and provide kind of the best quality of life for the you know for the patients.
1: Absolutely and I'm sure those pet parents are so thankful for all of the work that you're doing to help them out. Yeah I
0: definitely it's so mind-blowing and I was a science major so it's really exciting for me just to hear even more of the possibilities that could come from students that are studying what I did in college but you know, when you got into vet med or veterinary medicine, did you think you'd be a professor? You know, what, what has that experience been for you working with the next generation of animal doctors in a teaching hospital? Yeah, I mean, when I, when I kind of
2: first got into vet med, I just assumed that I would be your local family veterinarian. A lot of our graduates are and kind of never even thought about being a professor I think in hindsight, it's funny because both my parents are educators. They're both elementary school teachers. And so I think there's probably some teaching in the blood or even maybe just recognizing the importance of teaching and passing your knowledge on to kind of future generations. I think it's honestly like a real privilege to work with a future generation of doctors and being able to shape and mold to the things that you think are important um, to try and make the profession a better place for that you know, these vet students, they're so smart. They're so dedicated. They're all kind of just wonderful to work with. And, um, if you ask kind of the vet students, especially the fourth years on the clinical rotation, my favorite thing is when they get excited about something cool. And what I think is really cool is obviously surgery, but the best part I think is if we're ever doing any cases like around the lungs or the heart's, then I always get the student to like put their hand in when they're scrubbed in on the surgery and they get to touch that dog's like beating heart. And so it is, you know, I think that there's kind of nothing that makes you feel more alive than touching a beating heart. Whenever I have the fourth years on clinics with me and we have cases like that, I'm always like, come on, you know, scrub in, get involved to try and get that excitement because it is long hours and it's so hard and and everything like that. That it really is a pleasure to be around, just kind of the the younger people, and recognizing that that you can have a big impact on people. It's a real privilege.
1: And I'm wondering, do you remember your first moment like that as a vet student yourself?
2: I think yeah, I do. I do. So I, you know, I remember surgery can be a little bit terrifying for students because you're sterile, right? And you're terrified about breaking sterility. So you've got your hat, your mask, you've scrubbed in, you've got your gown, your gloves, and you can't touch anything that's not sterile. And so you're kind of like, oh my goodness, what if I screw up or anything like that? I think that trying to create an environment that's like that, and I definitely had mentors like that. Um, I don't remember, I don't think for me personally, it was fixing a dog, when I was a, a fourth year or a fifth year student, we actually do five years of a, of a veterinary degree in Australia. I remember fixing a dog's um, pelvic fracture. So its pelvis was completely uh, being hit by a car and it was kind of paralyzed, not able to walk. And then we fixed it and it was able to like walk out of the hospital. And so just like, I think for me, that's where like, I really love surgery um, as a specialty because it's very practical kind of almost immediate results it's very gratifying um, on that side but I think that you know passing it on being excited about about your profession is is something that that really helps
1: absolutely and I'm I'm just so impressed I let go a big wow while you were talking because that is (laughs) such an amazing thing to experience like helping another living being re reclaim their movement and uh kind of be healthy in that way so that's amazing But I'm wondering, so you mentioned that your parents were teachers, you know, what made you want to be a veterinarian? Uh, And did you always know this is where you're going to land professionally?
2: Yeah, I think um, I feel like, you know, a lot of a lot of people who want to be vets have kind of always known they've wanted to be vets. And I was one of those kids kind of chasing stray cats around the neighborhood. And that was kind of my passion growing, growing up. So I feel like I don't remember wanting to do anything else apart from from being a being a veterinarian. I think landing professionally as a you know as a surgical specialist and a teacher and a researcher that definitely was not expected. Um, but kind of just going through my career and recognizing that there are actually like a lot of things you can do with a doctor of vet med. It's a very translational degree. Um, There's very wide ranging things because we have that kind of broad species background and everything. I think we have a really good brain of being able to translate everything um, and understand things from multiple perspectives, which I think is really beneficial for wherever your career lands after, you know, after your vet degree can be a fish vet you can be a chicken vet you can go into production medicine you can go into research you can be a specialist you can do public health there's so many kind of avenues um, that you can go into with that that I just assumed I was going to be a family veterinarian and I kind of took a little bit of a different different path but I always knew I wanted to work with animals
0: as someone who even was a science major, it's mind-blowing just how many different routes there are for the DVM, and yeah, how, I didn't even think about like being involved in public health coming from that degree, so I think that's really cool. Um, it's something I can't wait to talk to my students about because I have a lot of students that are always asking me about our pre-vet program into veterinary medicines. For you, especially since you have been so successful and just a miracle worker, if I might add, but um, do you have any advice for students that are just getting started that have this goal of being a veterinarian?
2: I absolutely have advice and, you know, take it with a grain of salt, obviously. You know, I think, I think it's, a, it's a very hard program, so study hard to, to get there. I think one of the big things is, though, like to be a vet, you have to love learning. It's a profession that is a lifelong learning thing. So if you're kind of naturally inquisitive, this is a really good profession for you. And so kind of along that line of like asking questions about this and and for students who are either in high school or undergraduate wanting to come into, you know, into a veterinary veterinary degree, spend time with veterinarians, you know, ask them questions, bug them. Ask what they like, what they don't like. Do they have any advice? Definitely keeping keeping grades up. We do have a holistic um, admissions process, you know, at Oregon State uh, from that. And so having work experience with lots of different animals, as well as lots of different kind of aspects of vet med and research is looked upon favorably kind of within the admissions process as far as that. Um, But I do think just asking a lot of questions, you know, to see, because there are so many avenues that you can go with a vet and not to bring down the, the good vibes here. But I think one of the big things is mental health with veterinarians. I'm not sure if you're aware of kind of the mental health crisis with veterinarians, but vets are three to four times more likely to commit suicide than the general population. And so I do think that working as well as on academics, but working on ways that are going to improve your mental health and figuring out what works for you is really important if you wanted to go into this profession as far as being able to cope mentally with this profession as well, because it is a tough one. It's a rewarding one, but it's also a really tough one. So I do think But understanding that coming in is a really big point, not to not to be a downer about it, but it is something that I think that we need to speak more about mental health. And we know that a veterinarian is a high risk profession.
1: Thank you so much for speaking on that. Corey and I just talked with some other support services at Oregon State in a different episode. So um, we're absolutely champions of mental health and believe that that should be a larger conversation as well. So thank you so much for shedding light on that and for giving our students who are interested a bit more advice and information about the field.
0: I have one question just out of my own curiosity. Uh-huh. Um, you kept saying like, you're, you know, you're scrubbed up, but yeah. do you have a favorite pair of scrubs? Like I know uh-huh. that buying
2: scrubs is like a really exciting thing <laughs> for students. I know. Well, like, I feel like that's the thing, like scrubs are now like fashion, you know, like you can buy like fashionable scrubs with like the jogger ones and things like that. And they've gotten expensive. <laughs> I honestly, I just have the scrubs that have like the work provides me with my name on it. So, <laughs> and then they launder for me. So that's kind of handy. <laughs> oh,
0: that's so
2: that's nice. <laughs> and easy, <Exactly>, right? <laughs> exactly, I know. Although they are, it's frustrating because the new scrubs, like the cool scrubs are uh, like the Figs brands and things like that have like female versions and male versions to kind of fit body shapes differently. But scrubs traditionally are like, neutral and so they don't have any room for hips and so they are literally like this square thing um which like with you know veterinarians now is like 85 to 90 percent women and so you put these scrubs on and they don't have like any room for your hips at all so you're like oh they're so big around your waist they're so tight around your hips um but hey i've you know i've given up on trying to look good in scrubs
1: (laughs) I would say you have to move around. I'm so surprised they're so stiff.
0: <laughs> I feel like if you can do surgery on a big cat, you can do some surgery on your scrubs. And like
2: I know, tailor them. I know. I probably should try the, the ones to make, but then I'm like, oh, work launders them and they have my name on them already. So yeah, it's hard <laughs> to go past those ones. Don't want to do more laundry. I already have two kids and a husband. <laughs> Yeah. We already do a lot of laundry in our house. <laughs> already enough.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. In general, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been an amazing conversation. And I've been um, so thankful just to learn a bit more about what's happening with the Carlson College of Vet Med and, and how they're working to kind of, you know, uh, protect and save all species around. That's amazing. Um, so before we wrap up, though, we are wondering if you can give us a uh, Go Go Thieves! Go Thieves! <laughs>
0: yes that was amazing well everyone thank you for being here with us today and we hope you can join us for our next episode of beaver traps it will be a damn good time